Thank you for tuning in to RTM Nation Online, where we believe that you will receive the abundance of peace, prosperity, security, stability, health, healing, and truth. If you would like to learn more about the ministry, click the link below. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the channel. Now let's get into the message. A couple years ago, I was leaving um, Atlanta. I was leaving Atlanta, Georgia, headed back home, anxious to get home. I had left to um, attend a conference in, in Atlanta. And, um, you know, it was one of those um, quick turnaround trips, you know. I rented a car by myself and rode up there on a weeknight and did what I needed to do. And I'm headed back home. I left at Atlanta about 12 o'clock in the morning, 12 o'clock a.m., streets wide open, nice driving, right? Nice driving. Took my suit, threw it in the back seat, took my Bible, threw it in the back seat, and hit the road. I'm ready to get back home, right? To my wife. And Mackenzie was a little one um, at that time. So I'm riding, and, um, you know, not too many people on the streets, Deep, Pastor Leon. Weren't too many people on the streets. So it's wide open. And I'm riding. I'm doing about 85. And, um, Doing about 85, I am. 80, 85, I am, you know. 80, 85, and, and um, riding good for about an hour and a half. Riding good for about an hour and a half. And then I got to Cook County, Georgia. <laughs> Cook County, Georgia. It's about 1.30, 1.35 in the morning, and I get pulled over. Now, now I got this, I got this issue. You know, sometimes Christians can be kind of bipolar, like we kind of, do stuff that just, like, don't really make sense. And I, I suffer from that sometimes, too, because, you know, here I am. I'm speeding. I'm going 85, probably about 15 miles over the speed limit. But, see, and that's so against integrity, like, right? That had, that's no integrity of doing that. You know the speed limit. Drive the speed limit, right? But then on the other side, my integrity doesn't allow me to slow down when I get caught. It's like I'm speeding, but I feel bad. I feel bad. You know how some people do when they see the officer, they slam on the brakes to slow down? I feel bad when I do that. It's like, it's like, I'm, yeah, I'm speeding. You caught me. It's like, I'm not going to try to, you know, that's a problem. That's a problem. But anyway, so I get pulled over by this officer, and um, hey, it is what it is, you know. And um, he's coming to the car, and he's got his flashlight out because it's 135 on the side of 75 headed south. And he got his flashlight, and he comes, and he flashes the, you know, flashlight in the car. He comes to the driver's side. I got the window down. I'm already ready. He got my license registration already ready, you know. And uh, he gets to the window, and he says, he says, um, he says, good evening, Pastor, Pastor Mills. And he introduces himself. And I'm kind of thrown, you know, oh, you know I'm a pastor. You know, he asks me, where are you, where are you going? And I tell him the situation. He says, why are you in a hurry? Why are you in a hurry? And that's what he asks me. And I tell him, hey, listen, I just attended this conference, and I'm just giving him a spill, you know. I'm, I'm just anxious to get home, that's all. And then he says something to me. He says, he says, I just got a call on my radio that there's an accident that just happened right up the road, and I didn't want you rushing to be in it. I thought, I thought me being pulled over by the police officer was a problem. But I wasn't a problem. He just saved me from the problem. 
right? I remember some years ago, um, I had a situation going on. Man, I thought it was bad. I mean, it was bad. I mean, it's, it was one of those situations where you're getting, you know, them, them official letters in the mail and phone calls and court dates. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, it was pretty scary. I thought this was serious. I, I was like, Paul, I took this to the Lord three times, and he ain't say nothing to me. I'm like, what's going on? What is this? And finally, finally, he says to me, he says, the last time you had a problem, I came down there and did something about it. I was like, wow. He says, the last time you had a problem, this is what Jesus said to me, the last time you had a problem, I came down there and did something about it. Well, what was he talking about? He's talking about your salvation. The last time you had a problem, I came down there and I did something about it. What you're going through right now, you can handle it. This doesn't reach problem level to me. Change my perspective. Change my perspective. And that's what we've been talking about these last few weeks, is just how God wants us to change our perspective. He wants us to change our perspective. There are things that we, are, we have faced. There are things that we are facing. There are things that are coming that we have to go into it with the mind of Christ. Listen, if you're so focused on the problem, if you're so focused on the problem, you'll never see the victory. Listen to what I said. You have to have a certain perspective to even understand what I just said. If you're so focused on the problem, you'll never see the victory. See, many people think that they're going to victory. Many people still waiting on victory to come. Victory has already come. You already got victory. But if you're so focused on the problem, you can't see the victory that you're living in. You can't see the victory that you're walking in. You know, what I realize is that every day for the born-again person, every day of your life is a miracle. You're living in a miracle. You're living in a miracle. But we, we spend so much time and so much energy praying for miracles. And we spend so much time wanting God to do something. And we've become numb to what he's already done. You live in a miracle. The fact that you can say that you've been born again is a miracle. But when you focus on the problem, you'll miss the miracle. It's a matter of shifting perspective. It's a matter of shifting perspective. A matter of changing the way that we see things. How can I walk in his victory if I don't see things the way that he sees them? I want my perception, I want my perspective to line up with his perspective. Because what I realize, what I realize is that if I have the right perception, if I have the right perspective, then I can walk on water. I can walk on water. If I keep the right perspective, I can walk on water. Peter had the right perspective when he was walking on top of the water. He saw the same thing that Jesus saw. It wasn't until he got distracted that he began to sink. And many of us are living under what God has called us to walk on top of. It's because our perceptions aren't aligned. You got to have the right perspective. Amen. You know, God is doing a new thing. God is doing a new thing. God has already done a new thing. God has new things all the time. Imagine how big he is. Right? Anybody went to, um, you know, you ever been to Ikea? Ikea furniture store? 
Some of you. I remember the first time I went to Ikea. First time I went there, my mind was kind of blown. I was like, it's still going. It's like it's still going. There's still more. You start upstairs. And then you go through the maze upstairs. And you go to the different levels. And then you end up downstairs. And there's still more downstairs. It's like, wow. It's like it's never ending. Right? Man, so multiply that by a gajillion billion. And then we still won't be close to where God is. It's like, how, how, at what point do you say that you really, you're at the end of him? God is always introducing himself. God is always introducing himself. And once you've gotten to a place where, you're, where you are uh, familiar with him, he wants to show you something else. Because he is so vast. He is so great. He is so big. He is always doing a new thing. He's like, I've been here from the beginning, and I'm still doing new things. He said, don't put me in the box of your familiarity. I got more up my sleeve. I got more up my sleeve. And what happens often is that we put brakes on. We put the brakes on because we want to stay in the realm of what we're used to. We want to stay in the comfort of our own complacency. We want to live in familiarity. And God is trying to get us to go beyond those walls. God wants us to go beyond those walls. How do we do that? We do it by allowing him to actually lead us, allowing him to lead us. We never stop the conversation. I never close off communication. Even though I've been with this, I've been in this thing for, for 20 years, they're still new to, to see. There's still more to be discovered. And the only way that I get there is by staying sensitive. I can't take this relationship for granted. I can't take this relationship for granted. You know what happens, what happens when, we, when we get into a relationship with God and we get to the place that we think that we know? It's actually, that's, that's like a form of pride. It's a form of pride. You're exalting what you know above what he's trying to show you. And then I'm telling you what's happened. What, what happens is we get to a place where even as he's trying to show us new, we reject the new he's trying to show us because it's not what we've seen. God, that can't be you. I've never seen you do that before. Right? Right. Let's look at this. Let's start in Matthew 14. Today we're going to teach from the message title, It Started With a Problem. It started with a problem. It started with a problem. And the purpose of this message is for us to realize that we can't walk in his victory without having his mind. And what you need is a perspective. As long as you see the problem as the problem, you'll never see the victory. As long as you see the problem as the problem, you'll never see the victory. And sometimes, some, as you go into Matthew chapter 14, I'm just giving you a little preview into a, um, a message we may get into um, in the coming weeks. Do you know the Israelites, check this out now, Israel, the Israelites were slaves in Egypt. Y'all remember that? Israelites were slaves in Egypt. God sent them a deliverer named, what was his name? Moses. Y'all know Moses? God sent Moses to deliver, to deliver Israel from Egypt. Did Moses do his job? Yes or yes? Moses did his job, right? Moses led them 
How far? Do you know? Moses led them how far? Did Moses lead them into the promised land? No, he did not. He led them right up to the threshold of it. Right? Remember, Moses went up into the mountain and looked over. From the mountain, he could see into the promised land. Did Moses lead Israel into the promised land? No. Who did that? Talk to me. Joshua led them into the promised land. Y'all know that? Joshua led them into the promised land. I think it's Joshua um, chapter um, 24. Joshua dies. Joshua has led them into the promised land. Joshua dies. Joshua dies after leading them into the promised land. The Bible says that Joshua dies in peace. He had defeated all the, all the foes around him. He dies in a, in a you know, there's peace in Israel. There's, they haven't, they haven't peace. He dies in a season of peace, right? Joshua dies, and after Joshua's death, what do you think Israel is looking for? They, later they look for a king, but right away, but even in them looking for a king, you know what they're looking for? They're looking for somebody to lead them to the promised land. Ain't that crazy? They're looking for somebody to still do what Joshua was doing. But that's crazy, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so crazy. The people are so crazy. It means it's like so silly, Right? But we all see, you do the same thing. You've been doing the same thing. You've been doing the same thing. Where did Jesus bring you? Hmm? Oh, it's real quiet right now. Where did Jesus bring you? Did Jesus bring you to the threshold of your promised land? Come on, talk to me now. No, he didn't. Where did he bring you? Into it. So what you still looking for? Them silly Israelites. Goodness. Look at Matthew 14. Starting at verse 13 from the Amplified. Matthew 14, 13. This is what it says. When Jesus heard it, this is when Jesus heard that it's his cousin, his co-laborer in ministry, John, John the Baptist. When Jesus heard that he died, Jesus heard that John the Baptist was killed. When Jesus heard it, he withdrew from there privately in a boat to a solitary place. But when the crowds heard of it, when the crowds heard that Jesus was going to this place, that's what it says, when the crowds heard of it, they followed him on foot. From the towns, verse 14. When he went ashore and saw a great throng of people, he had compassion, pity, and deep sympathy for them and cured their sick. Verse 15. When evening came, the disciples came to him and said, so he has been ministering to these people for the large part of the day, right? From daytime and now it's evening time. When evening came, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote and barren place, and the day is now over. Send the throngs away into the villages to buy food for themselves. 16. Jesus said, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. 17. 
They said to him, the disciples said to him, we have nothing here but five loaves and two fish. They've just identified a problem. How can we feed this multitude with just five loaves and two fish? This is a problem. You know the rest of the story, right? Did the, did, did the job get done? Did the miracle take place? But what preceded the miracle? A problem. The problem preceded the miracle. So how is it that we've become so problem averse? Why is it that we would rather circumnavigate around the problem? Why do we avoid the problem? If we can see the problem coming, we begin to do things in order to get around dealing with the problem. Some of you got problems in your mailbox today that have been there for months because you don't want to open it. Some of you have identified phone numbers. When you see it on your caller ID, you know I'm not answering that problem. Some of you got people that you haven't spoken to in a very long time because you're trying to avoid dealing with that problem. Some of you have, you'll go the long way around the office to get to your cubicle because you don't want to deal with that problem. Some of you act all out of your character. You be extra nice with certain people because you don't want to really get into the business because you really ain't ready to deal with that problem. But the very thing that you want for, the very thing that you're looking for, the thing that you've been praying for, the thing that you desire to have is on the other side of the problem. The miracle came after they dealt with the problem. We can't be afraid of problems. You've been made for problems. God invested himself on the inside of you so that you can deal with problems. Listen, if, if you aren't, if you, if you avoid the problems of your own life, how can you be equipped to help someone else deal with their problems? God's given you your own problems to build up a certain strength on the inside of you so that you'd be strong enough to help somebody else with their problems. How are you going to minister to me about my problem when you're avoiding your own problem? How can we even relate and get to the place that we're eye to eye when you're unwilling to deal with your problems? We've become so professional at avoiding problems that even as I'm talking about your problems, you haven't even identified yours. You can't even see your problems. The very problem that is very near to you, been with you for a very long time. Matter of fact, if you were in this room by yourself, your problems still be with you. There's some problems you don't even got to go and talk about the problems that you're having with the person next to you. We could talk about the problems that exist right on the inside of you that you ain't willing to deal with. Your own problems your own battles, your own fights, your own doubts, your own fear, your own insecurities that you've been avoiding dealing with. 
And they keep resurfacing and resurfacing. And God is bringing them to your attention. You keep thinking it's the, de- the devil. You keep saying it's the enemy. That's the, that's the, that's the, the um, defense mechanism you use to avoid dealing with it. But the fact that that insecurity keeps coming up, deal with your own problem. It's time for us to deal with our own problems. It's like I can't, we can't even, I can't even, how can we go forward? How, we, how can we go to the next step if we haven't dealt with everything on this step? There's a scripture that says, it's in the book of Proverbs. My people who read in Proverbs, you probably read this one. It says the curse basically says that the, the um, just like a, um, you know, it says a bird, if a bird flies out of the tree, it flies out of the tree for a reason. If the curse comes, it comes for a reason. What does he mean? If there if are, if they are um, symptoms of, of what we would consider the curse, if they come, if it comes, if it's present, it's present for a reason. There's a reason for it. A few weeks ago, we said it like this. There's a purpose to the problem. There's a purpose to this problem. This is more than just something that I want to get rid of. No, there's something here for me to learn. There's something for me to see. There's a reason that this is here. There's a reason that this comes up again. There was a reason that the Israelites wandered around that wilderness for 40 years. It wasn't just for exercise. There was a reason. They did it because they weren't ready to go into the promised land. Not that God was withholding anything from them. It was his desire that they went in. They could have went in after three days, some say. They could have went in after 11 days, some say. It was an 11-day journey. God would have had it that they walked in right away. But there was something on the inside of them that they were unwilling to deal with to the point that the whole generation died in the wilderness. You're not dealing with your problems. We push, it's easy for me to blame, it's easy for me to push my problems off on the enemy. It's easy for me to push my problems off on somebody else. Because then I don't have to deal with it. But the truth is, it resurfaces for a reason. It resurfaces for a reason. So here, here those disciples were, they've identified the problem. We only got two fish, five loaves. How are we going to feed all these people? And you know what happened at the end of that story. Jump down to verse 22. Verse 22. Then he, direct, he Jesus, directed the disciples. A disciple is a follower, right? A follower of Jesus. In order to be a disciple, that means you got to follow. That's what disciples do. Disciples follow Jesus. Then he, Jesus, directed the disciples. Who's directing this scenario? Jesus is directing. Jesus directed the followers. Anybody in here a disciple? We got any followers in the house? Okay, so that means we're taking our directions from Jesus. Jesus directed the disciples to get into the boat. Jesus directed the disciples to get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent away the crowds. Look at verse 23. And after he had dismissed the multitudes, he went up into the hills 
by himself to pray. When it was evening, he was still there alone. Verse 24. But the boat was by this time out on the sea. Many furlongs, furlongs are a great distance away. It was being beaten and tossed by the waves for the wind was against them. We read this in another, um, you know, I think it was Luke who wrote about this same account. John wrote about this same account. Mark wrote about this same account. And one of them, they said that the disciples were beating against the waves. They were fighting the waves. Can you imagine them? They're on that boat. The water is rough. The wind is blowing. It's raining. They're fighting against the waves. Anybody ever been in a, in a boat? You're trying to row, but the current is going against you? I've been there before. There's a lot of work involved. So imagine them, boys. They're fighting against the waves. Now, I read this over and over and over again because I just like to do that. All right? I like to just put myself all in the scripture. I read it over and over again. And there's certain things that stuck out the first time I read it and I didn't know why. So I had to read it again to see what, why is that sticking out to me? Why is that sticking out to me? And I read, uh, I think it was verse, uh, go to verse 22 again. Verse 22. Watch this. Show you how much God loves you. Why are you dealing with your problem? Watch this. It says, then he, Jesus, directed the disciples to get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent away the crowds. I like that part. I like that part. He sent away the crowds. You know what's going you know to happen in verse 23 and 24, right? You know the disciples are on the water in the boat and they're fighting. I mean, can you imagine what they look like? Imagine if you're on the land and you're watching. Imagine if you're on the land and you're watching them row against the current. Could you imagine what that looked like? Imagine what your hater would say. If they saw you fighting waves, imagine what the people who are against you would say if they could see you fight. If they could see you fight against something that you really shouldn't be fighting in the first place, it's like they're fighting against the waves. Who's going to win? But before the crowd could see what happened, Jesus sent him away. He's a good guy like that. Because the, the, the situation that you're in is not to embarrass you. The situation you're in is not for is not to give those who would be against you a one up on you. God is so loving in how he allows you to develop in your secret quiet place because it's not about exposing you. It's not about exposing your weaknesses. God ain't trying to put your business out there. He's trying to develop you like a loving father would. So he sends the crowds away. This just can, this can be between me and you. This could be between me and you. Everybody ain't got to know the stuff that you're dealing with. I'm not in the business of exposing you. I'm in the business of revealing you. Oh, it's two different things. I don't want to expose you. I want to reveal you. You being exposed can lead to your embarrassment. You being revealed can lead to my glory. Two different things. So while they're out there fighting the waves, God sends the crowd away. That spoke to me. I hope it spoke to you. Look at verse 25. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus came to them walking on the sea. Right? And you know what happens after that. But here they are again. They're in a problem. They're in the boat. They're in this boat. They're fighting against the waves. They think they're going to drown, right? And before the miracle comes, there's a problem. 
Before the miracle comes, there's a problem. Before every miracle, there's always a problem. Before there's a miracle, there's always a problem. And I like verse 25. I mean, the fact that Jesus came to them walking on the sea, we know how they responded to that. They responded terrified. They never seen him do this before. They didn't know how to respond. They didn't know what this meant. They didn't know what was going on. They never seen him walk on water. They never would have even thought about it, right? But that reminds me of Isaiah 43 and 18. Isaiah 43, 18 and 19. Go ahead and put that up there. Isaiah 43, 18, 19. In Isaiah 43, 18, 19, God tells us, amplified version is fine. Behold, I am doing a, a new thing. I'm doing a new thing. Don't get so used to what you've, what you've seen me do. Don't get so used to what you're familiar with. If we always run to what we're familiar with, we'll miss what God is doing. They never saw Jesus walking in the water. They were about to dismiss this moment as it's a ghost. They were terrified of the waves. Now they're terrified of Jesus. But he says, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not know? Do you not perceive it? Will you not give heed to it? I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. What new thing has God been doing in your life that you've been dismissing? What new thing? And you know the interesting thing about the new thing? The new thing will discomfort you. Yeah. You, you thought that the Holy Spirit being your comforter meant that you would always be comfortable. It's not what it means. It's not what it means. It's not what it means. It means that when you're in an uncomfortable situation, which you should be in, as someone who is walking against the way of this world, as someone who is walking against the grain, as someone is always rolling, rolling upstream as a believer, the Bible says, Jesus said that, hey, just because you receive the word, guess what's going to happen? Persecution is going to come. Tribulation is going to come. Trial is going to come. So as you're dealing with all these difficulties, I got someone who's going to keep you comforted. Amen. Doesn't mean that you're going to be comfortable. But we're, we're searching for comfort. We're searching for comfort when the new thing that God is doing is going to cause you to be discomforted. The new thing that God is doing is going to cause you to be uncomfortable. The new thing that God is calling you to is going to, call, is going to require you to get out of your normal routine. The new thing that God is calling you to is going to require you. I know you're used to going to bed at 10 and waking up at 8. But the new thing that God is calling you to, no, you don't have to. I know somebody who got to go to bed at 9 in order to wake up at 3 because that's the time that God wants to meet with them. But you got to be willing to change your Routine, if you want to be on his routine. What's the new thing that God has been calling you to? What's the new thing that God has been trying to insert into your life and you keep rejecting it because it's not what you're used to? It's not what you're familiar with. God is like, how, you know, I got to the point where I wanted to grow. I felt like I had hit this wall. You know, I'm desiring to grow. How can I go higher than here? Holy Spirit says, what you want to do is not in your mind. It's not in your mind. Well, what the heck am I supposed to do with that? Where do you go from there? It's not in my mind. So, okay, 
okay, what does that mean? It's not in my mind. What am I supposed to do? Get a new mind. Good God. Get a new mind. Okay, how do I get a new mind? You need to change your associations. That's what he told me. You need to change your associations. There's some books that you need to read. There's some people that you need to meet. You need to spend your time differently. Ain't none of this convenient or comfortable. Ain't none of this convenient or comfortable. Because some of them people that he put on my list for me to spend time with, they didn't live near me. They weren't next door. I didn't have their phone number. I had to have those awkward conversations like, hey, listen, God told me I need to renew my mind. And he said that you're one of the people who are going to help me do it. Can I have your phone number? You know how awkward that is for a grown man to have a conversation like that with another grown man? Ain't nothing comfortable about this. And then on top of that, the person lived two hours away from you. Now you got to get your wife in the car, get her dressed up, and you driving two hours away from your house just to have dinner with somebody. The trip there lasts longer than the dinner. Ain't nothing comfortable about that. What is the thing that God is requiring of you that you've been unwilling to do because it isn't comfortable? The first thing that happens when they were on the boat, they see Jesus walking to the boat. They were more afraid of Jesus than the waves. And we respond the same way. There are things that God has been trying to get you to do. And you're more afraid of what God is trying to get you to do. To the point that you're willing to stay in your same situation. The situation you've been praying to get out of. But his direction seems to be more uncomfortable than where you are. Amen. I'd rather stay in the mess. Oh, glory. But the problem is, is that you've already put yourself in his hands. Proverbs 16, see, some years ago, you made a decision to commit your life to him, and there's no way out now. There's no way out now. He has you, so he's going to keep on bringing you. Listen, if you got to do third grade five times, God will send you back to the third grade for the fifth and the sixth time until you get what you need to get. That's just how it works. He's, it's okay with him. He's not in a hurry. He's not on your timetable. It doesn't matter to him because at the end of your life, if you spend your life, in the third grade of spirituality, it's okay with him. Because afterwards, you get to go home. But what we fail to realize is how invested he is in our development. God has invested too much in you to do anything without you. God has invested too much in you to bring you your miracle without your involvement. That's good news to me. Glory to God. Let's look at Mark 4. Mark 4. Mark 4. Similar account, just a different person telling the story. You know, the disciples spent two occasions on the water in a storm, two different occasions. On one of them, the one that we've been reading about in Matthew 14, is when Jesus walks on the water. But there was one that preceded that, okay, in Mark 4. Um, amplified translation is fine. Mark 4, 
Let's go to verse uh, 35. Mark 4, verse 35. On that same day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go over to the other side of the lake. Next, next verse. And leaving the throng, they took him with them. Leaving the crowd of people, they as the disciples took Jesus with them, just as he was in the boat. Another translation just says a little more plain. It means that the disciples got into the boat that Jesus was in. They got in the same boat. Other boats were with him. Verse 37. And a furious storm of wind of hurricane proportions arose, and the waves kept beating into the boat so that it was already becoming filled. Verse 38. But he himself was in the stern of the boat asleep on the leather cushion, and they awoke him and said to him, Master, do you not care that we are perishing? Master, do you not care that we are perishing? And I like, I like that they asked this question because this is real Christianity right here. See, and I like, I like that the, the, um, the Gospels give us the opportunity to take a peek into the lives of the men and women who walk with Jesus because it exposes them questions that we too afraid to ask out loud. It's like if you haven't been in a place in your walk where you ask this question, you just ain't walked far enough yet. Okay, I see who I'm dealing with this morning. Either I'm dealing with the people who ain't walked that far, I'm dealing with people who don't want to admit it. <laughs> I've been in places in my life, I've been in situations where I had to ask this question, where I've wondered about how much do you care. If you really cared, would I really be under this pressure if you really cared about me? If you really cared about me, would I really be feeling this, this way? You would not be telling me to go apologize to this person after they did what they did to me. If you telling me to apologize, what? They ask the question, Master, do you not care that we are perishing? And I love his quick response. I love his quick response because he got up and he did something about it. You know how that story ends, right? He spoke to the wind, spoke to the waves, and brought peace to the whole situation. But it just shows that he does care. This reminds me of another account in the Old Testament. I think it's 1 Kings chapter 17. Yeah, 1 Kings chapter 17, uh, start at verse 8. Some of you are familiar with this passage of Scripture. <clears throat> but there was a lady. She was a widow. It was her and her son. And what I love about this is that it shows how much God, is, God cares. But just like the other situations that we've shared, you know, there was a miracle at the end, but it started with a problem. You can't avoid it. You can't avoid it. It's like, it's like, it's like so many of us have been asking to see God. God, show me who you are. 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 So he brings an uncomfortable situation because you wanted to see who he is. I mean, just show me who you are. Show me who you are. I'm going to show you that I'm a provider. The only way I can show you that I'm a provider is if there is lack. Show me your power. Show me your power. Show me your power. Really? You want me to show you? Want me to show you what I'm able to do? You really ready for that? It's just some facts of life, man. 
some realities that we ain't ready to deal with. It don't matter how high you go, how far you go, there's always a situation where you're going to need God. Look at this lady. And the word of the Lord came to him, talking to the prophet, the man of God. Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. Next. So he arose and went to Zarephath. When he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her, bring me a little water and a vessel that I may drink. As she was going to get it, he called to her and said, why you at it? Bring me something to eat too. Look at verse 12. And she said, as the Lord your God lives, I have not a loaf baked, but only a handful of meal in the jar and a little oil in the bottle. See, I am gathering two sticks. Man, she was so far gone in her mind. I mean, God, dog, you're making a fire. Sticks are free, and you're only getting two of them. I mean, okay, it's one thing to not have enough meal, but dang, you're rationing sticks. See, I'm gathering two sticks that I may go in and bake it for me and my son that we may eat it and die. That's a problem. But what I like about this, what I like about this problem, what I like about this is that it's evident that God had this lady on his mind is because it doesn't give any, any indication that she she asked for him to come. It's like God is saying, no, I'm aware of who you are, where you are. I'm aware of what you need. Notice that she didn't plan for company. She didn't plan for company. I think that's good news. God is very much aware of who you are, where you are. God is very much aware of who you are and where you are. You may have misplaced yourself. You may not be real with who you are. You may not want to identify where you are, but God knows who you are and God knows where you are. You may have yourself a little further ahead than where you really are, God knows who you are, and God knows where you are, and God knows how to get you what you need to move where he wants you to be. God's going to deal with you. God's not dealing with the you that you try to be. God's not dealing with the you that you aspire to be. God's going to deal with you. God's going to bring you what you need in order to get to where he wants you to be. And that's good news. That's good news. God, deal with me beyond me. God, don't, I got, you know, don't, don't meet me at my agenda. You know me. Right? You know me. And it's difficult. That's a difficult thing to say. That's a mature prayer to pray. But it's got to be where we are. God, deal with me. I don't want you dealing with who I put myself out there to be. Deal with me. I don't want you, I don't want you dealing with what I try to portray, but deal with me. 
And that's what he's invested in doing, dealing with you, developing you, bringing you from where you are truly to where he wants you to be. And that's good news to me. Amen. Let's start. Let's, let's, let's end it here in Matthew 27. Matthew 27. You know, I was just led to share all of these accounts. All of these accounts, we know the miracles that happen in the end, but all of them start with a problem. All of them start with what we would call a problem. All of them start with what we would call a problem. Look at this one in Matthew 27. Matthew 27. Ooh, man. Starting at verse 45. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. Verse 46. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? You know, this is when Jesus is on the cross. He's being crucified. This is a problem. It appeared to be a problem. The disciples saw it as a problem. The one that who, who they believed to be the Messiah, the one that they had followed for these three years. Remember, these were businessmen. These men left their business in order to follow him, right? The two brothers... Sons of Thunder is what the Bible calls them. They left their daddy in the boat to go follow Jesus. Andrew, Peter, they all left their businesses to follow Jesus. Matthew was a tax collector, right? He left in order to go follow Jesus. And now they come to this day when their, their leader, the one who they believe to be the Messiah, the one that they believe was going to lead Israel, lead the Jews to conquer the Romans. That's what they believed Jesus was. Now they're looking at their Jesus up on the cross. This whole thing right here, in their mind, this is a problem. This is a problem. Look at verse 47. And some of the bystanders, when they heard it, said, this man is calling for Elijah. And one of them immediately ran and took a sponge, soaked it with vinegar, and put it on a reed, and was about to give it to him to drink. But the other said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him from death. Verse 50. And Jesus cried again with a loud voice and gave up his spirit. Oh, this is, this is a problem. This is a problem. And I know that we have the advantage of being able to look back on this some 2,000 years later, right? And we know how this story ends. We know how this story ends. So when we read this, when we read this today, when we read the account of Jesus' arrest, when we read the account of him being beaten, when we read about him being put up on that cross, when we read of his death, we see it as beautiful because we know that he did it for us. We know the end of the story. The end of the story is he got up out of that grave, right? We know that all the lashes that he took, all the suffering, the crown of thorn, all of that meant something for us. By his stripes, 
We are healed. We know that now. But on that day, this was a problem. But guess what? All miracles start with a problem. It all starts with a problem. And the, the real deal is how you see this. How you see this could be a problem. But if I put on the lens of heaven, if I see this through the perspective of God himself, if I see it the way that Jesus sees it, I don't see this as a problem. It's not a problem. When I got pulled over by that police officer, I thought being pulled over was a problem. But when I heard what was waiting up ahead, I realized that this is not the problem. It's not a problem. Living life, I thought that I was dealing with the problem. Jesus said the last time you had a problem, I dealt with it myself. It's about perception. How you see the problem is a problem. I thought about Deacon Stephen. I think it's in Acts chapter 7. Stephen's the one who got stoned while he was preaching. Right? He knew what was going to happen. The angry mob had surrounded him. Right? The Jews, the religious people surrounded him. They are already gathering their stones. Saul, who later becomes Paul, Saul is already standing there. He knows who Saul is, right? Saul is already there holding their coats. They got stones in their hands and they're aiming them. And you know what Stephen was doing? Preaching. Still telling the gospel. Still teaching the gospel. Paul, Saul, uh, Stephen looks up. He says, I see the heavens open and I see the son of God standing at the right hand of the father. And I thought that that was so such such insight was given right there because we know that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the father. But Stephen looks up and he says that I see the Son of God standing. And I wonder what he was standing for. If we saw the problem the way that common people saw that problem, I would imagine that why don't Jesus send, why don't heaven send angels to deliver Stephen from death? If I keep seeing the problems the way that everybody else see the problem, why didn't that happen? If I keep seeing problems the way everybody else sees problems, then why did the majority of our, the church fathers, Paul was murdered, Peter was murdered, James was murdered. What? Maybe the way I'm defining the problem and the way heaven defines the problem are two different definitions. Did Stephen shut up when he saw and heard their threats? Mm -mm. Got a different perspective. Got a different perspective. Sometimes I wonder if the comforts, the illusory, not even realized yet, the illusions of comforts of this world, get us sidetracked, and we forget that we're already in the promised land.
I'm still praying for Joshua. I'm already in the promised land. My Joshua already brought me into the promised land. It's a matter of perspective. How you see the problem is the problem. I was ready to move on from this line of teaching, teaching about the problem and our perspective, and Holy Spirit brought me back. And I believe I maybe as a, as a group, we need to reset our mindset, or maybe I know God would do it for just one person, but there's somebody amongst us who God wants you to see things a different way. God is trying to take you to a higher place, and you're desiring to go. And God is like, I keep sending things in order to get you there. I keep sending situations, and I'm sending opportunities, and I'm sending people, and you keep rejecting it because of the way you see things. I need you to change your perspective. I need you to change your perspective. Don't get so familiar. Don't fall into what you, what you, I heard somebody say it like this. Sometimes what you know gets in the way of what you need to know. Don't get so familiar with what you're familiar with that you stop listening, that you stop inclining your ear that you stop investigating God. Don't lose your curiosity. What I've learned to do, what I've learned to do is, is to probe myself. So no, no matter what the problem is, big or small, whatever, I'm probing myself. What does this mean for me? How do you want me to respond in this? What are you trying to show me? It could be something simple. Me and Yanika were riding in the car the other day, and I can't remember exactly what it was, but I said something, and she said something different. We just weren't on the right page, right? And it's in this, in this, it just takes a split second. Okay, what do you want me to do in this situation, God? What does this mean to me? Right? And every time that you're able to, to, to respond, not according to your flesh, not according to your sense and reason, but you're, 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 you respond according to the fruit of the Spirit that's on the inside of you, that's your development. So even if the person comes sideways at you, and before you respond, you reflect, probe, why am I in this situation? What does this mean to me, God? How do you see this? How do you want me to respond? And you respond based on the fruit of the spirit that's on the inside of you. That's development. That's growth. That same situation come back around again. Instead of just doing the same thing that you've been doing, actually take time to ask God, what does this mean? Why am I here again? What is it that you're trying to get me to see? What is it that you've been wanting me to do? Give him room to speak to you. Or give yourself room to hear what he's been saying. Because God is way more invested in you than he is in any outcome that you desire. You're his prized possession. He wants you developed. The new thing that he's doing, even if he does a new thing around you, is so that something new can happen in you. Because you're his greatest possession. You're his greatest investment. You're his prized possession. 
I believe 2020 is going to be real good. The degree of goodness that we experience is going to be based on how we see things, our perception. Amen. He's just getting us ready. Glory to God. You received that word today? Go ahead and give God some praise. Amen. Hallelujah. Stand on your feet. We pray that today's message was a blessing to you. If you would like to help us further expand the vision, simply text the word GIVERTM to the number 41444 or visit us online at www.revealingtruth.org. Now remember, Jesus loves you.